All right. Good morning. Excuse me. Oh, morning, please. Afternoon. Rise and grind, people. Good afternoon. This is your host, Wandy, on another episode of Waking Up with Wandy, brought to you by Stock Showdown Podcast. We have a very special treat here for you this afternoon. We have Alex Brookman here on the Stock Showdown Podcast. A little bit of background on Alex. Uh, Alex is an entrepreneur, an author, executive coach, and board advisor. He built companies in Europe and Canada and held, uh, has led client projects all over the globe. His areas of expertise are strategy development, leadership development, and entrepreneurship. His passion lies in helping clients build profitable businesses rooted with purpose. Uh, I think right there, that last sentence is, is fundamentally important, and, and we're going to dive into that, the importance of, as, a, as an entrepreneur, finding what your purpose is. And if the purpose is solely just to make money, I think that's going to eventually become a flawed purpose down the road. But you're going to get into all of that, Alex, uh, right about now. So without further ado, Alex Brookman, everybody, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yes, and thank you again, like we spoke off air, uh, for, for doing the rescheduling here. As, as my audience knows, it's very difficult to try and nail down a sliver of time with four children, especially when one gets sick the night before. But we digress, we move on, and, and we plow through. So, Alex, tell us about yourself, how you, I guess, came to be as an entrepreneur. When was that light bulb, that aha moment, come to Jesus, whatever you want to call it, that turned you on to the field of entrepreneurship? I think there were two defining moments um, in my life about that. So I'm, I come from a very simple background, working class kid, grew up in a small rural area, in a small village in northern Bavaria, which is in Germany. And um, back then, there was still the inner German border. So some of your audience might know that Germany was um, divided after the war and reunited um, only in the 90s, 1990s. And in that area where I grew up, there was, there was not a lot to do. There was basically just not much we could do other than sport and hang around. And um, at some point in time, when I was in my teenage years, my mom actually stopped working as an employee and opened her small beauty parlor in our house. Right. So this was the first time I got in touch with entrepreneurship and I always found that interesting. Um, what is she doing? How does that work? So she's not working for someone anymore. So she was the first person that I ever knew that had their own business. So I, I became curious about that. But then after, you know, some time I lost interest in that again and eventually just pursued a completely different career. I became a radio journalist. So I did an, a professional education as a radio journalist, as a news host, and then some years down the road realized that this is probably not what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I went to university to study business administration. And in that context, I, I rediscovered the topic of entrepreneurship for myself and was like, oh yeah, that, that was interesting. I remember now. Um, and friends of mine already in university started their own side hustles, their own startups. And I was like, yeah, I'm not sure that's for me. That's a lot of risk. And um, well, I chose the path, path of, let's say, le the least risk, if you want. So I went to work for um, a large 
media corporation and then later became a management consultant and I always was an employee up until the moment when I realized that I really want to have my own business. I've, I felt like I had enough to give to the world that it was worth it just pursuing it because the biggest thing that can hold you back to become an entrepreneur is it's just fear of not finding a client that is willing to pay for what you have to offer. So once I had overcome that, there was just no stopping me. <laughs> and I went full force into entrepreneurship. So now when you went full force, into, what, what was the first endeavor where you, sold, you made that first sale to, to a client? Now, A, was this client somebody you knew? Or was this somebody completely unknown to you? Because obviously it's very easy to get started as an entrepreneur is selling to friends and family and colleagues and things like that. Or was this a complete stranger? So the work that I do, I don't sell socks that I could sell to everyone. So not everybody is a potential client of mine. So the work that I do is I consult with small and medium sized enterprises on their business strategy. So basically I help companies figure out where they want to be in three years down the road, in five years down the road, and actually help them to get there. So my clients weren't friends or family. These were other businesses. And I mean, you learn over time, you grow over time. The first sale, they are small. The next one might be a little bit bigger. You diversify your product portfolio, which simply means you offer different kinds of products or services that are relevant for different kinds of audiences. And um, if you work for small and medium-sized companies like I do, a small company simply starts with one person. So a one-man business, one-woman show has different needs than a company with a thousand employees. So now, how long did it take you to make that first sale? So you go through the process of registering the business, and um, again, I, I don't, unless you want to shed light on this, when the business actually started, did it, did it have a web presence? You know, you go through all those processes of setting it up, uh, getting it on the internet, what have you. Yeah. And the process continues till you make that first sale. How long of a period of time from start to that first sale did it take you? There are two different businesses that we need to talk about here. So the first business where I actually was an employee, but was an entrepreneur in residence, which means I treated the business as my own, even, even if it wasn't my own, because we were only two, the founder and myself. So I had to be very entrepreneurial from the very moment. And I was also compensated as if I were an entrepreneur. That first business where I really acted like an entrepreneur in that business, it took approximately seven to eight months. But in that business, we sold large scale projects. We're talking five, six figure deals. You just don't shake them out of your arm like that. We're talking consultative selling. It's nothing off the shelf. It's all custom made for the client. And in my very, very own business, then some years down the road, um, I can't even say whether I had my first sale yeah, I can say that. I had my first sale even before I registered my business because you have, you are in the industry. You just know right. the game. You know how it goes. You build relationships and then it's just, you, you register the business 
And when you are an, a solopreneur like myself, I am a solopreneur. It's my company. There is no employees. Um, the people that I work with are entrepreneurs themselves. So I subcontract and um, I also have someone who does marketing for me or who helps me with different topics. So these are also entrepreneurs. It's basically a network. Um, and that is, that is just super easy to start up. So you don't need to think about all the complexities around hiring um, uh, employees, social security stuff and taxes and God knows what. You just work with people who know their stuff. And this is a very good way to grow to the first stage before you actually think about hiring people. I think that's a, you know, selfishly, thank you, Alex. That's a great piece of advice <laughs> for myself. Uh, I launched Stock Showdown, the name of my business in 2021. And like you, uh, a solopreneur. Um, now, did you set up, uh, you set up your organization uh, when you did? Did you set it up as a proprietorship? Did you set it up as an LLC? How did you set it up, Alex? It's a, a single proprietorship. Okay. Um, now, I think that's fantastic piece of advice is basically subcontracting out these roles and you only get paid <laughs> based on performance rather than you get based, you know, your pay is based on amount of time served. Um, that's, because the whole you, reason, that's the whole reason why you want to become an entrepreneur, because you don't want to trade time for money. So the people that I work with, I want to work with people that have a simple mindset, a, sing, um, a similar mindset that um, want to get stuff done, that rather um, choose when they work over how long they work. And let, let's be honest, that's the single biggest issue that many entrepreneurs have when they start out, when they are solopreneurs, is that they think they need to do everything on their own. <laughs> I'm not a tax expert. I, I, I'm not a marketing expert. Uh, well, I started marketing, but that's 15 years ago. So the world has changed a little bit uh, since then when it comes to marketing. So I subcontract all my marketing work to other people that are experts in that field, allowing me to focus my time on those things that I'm good at, meaning developing products and services for my clients and selling them, which allows me to focus on value creation rather than on stuff that I don't like that would keep me busy, that would take a lot of time for myself to get done. So it's this trade-off, make or buy. And if you, if you make things on your own, make sure that those are the things that you're really good at and everything else you buy. All right, so um, again, selfish question here. Um, and maybe again, <laughs> down the road, my audience, uh, whether it be right now or again, down the road, uh, when they're embarking upon this journey, and, and hopefully some of them do, uh, the field of entrepreneurship, is when dealing with somebody in marketing, because that is not my expertise. Um, I, again, I'm, I'm very good with the vision and, and the big picture stuff and, and, and having the goal and the dream in mind, but being able to market it in, in all these different ways now, whether that be traditional media and, and more importantly, I think now with social media, that's not my cup of tea, mainly because I, I feel like I was born. Well, I mean, I went to college and I graduated and in 2005. You needed to have a, a college email address to have a Facebook account. So <laughs> I, I, I was at the beginning of that. 
But now all these different ways to market through Instagram and TikTok and, and Facebook Marketplace and LinkedIn yeah. and all of that is just so time consuming that it would make more sense to hire somebody, sub it out, subcontract it out to somebody who specializes in it. So how did you go about finding that person? Because you had said that you're not great at marketing and, and you, you found somebody that is. How did, what was the process like to go out and find that person that's good at marketing or find that person that's good at website development or find that person that's good at XYZ? What is your process to find the right pieces for your team before you ask yourself who might be the right person to do that you need to define very specifically what that person should do and why so before you actually just hire someone to do social media for you you need to be clear about which platforms do you actually want to play on you can't play on 10 different platforms <laughs> i mean you can if you have a whole lot of money to throw at that person yeah but that's not the point the point is where your ideal client where is your audience where are the people that you want to do business with are they on LinkedIn a business platform are they on TikTok are they on Instagram are they on Twitter so you need to clearly define and prioritize which platforms you want to play on I did that I, def I defined four platforms and scrapped two of them in the meantime because I realized it's actually two platforms. So I'm on LinkedIn and on Instagram, very, very active. And the content on, on LinkedIn, that's the content that I write myself. And the content on, on Instagram, that's often also um, produced by uh, people I outsource it to that help me make those designs beautifully to schedule those posts. So that it, at that moment when I knew what I wanted to do, I just asked people in, a net, in my network whether they knew someone that could do exactly that, what I needed for me. So I didn't ask, do you know someone who does social media marketing? I said, do you know someone who can take this, this and that task off my hands? And I immediately had someone. So now, after doing that, um, again, selfishly asking you here, because that is... is is something I'm toying around with because again, I just don't have the time uh, to allocate uh, due to everything else I have going on in my life. So after you've decided upon and find that right person, what is the next step uh, with bringing that person on and working out the payment structure? Do you, do you work out a, a structure with, if you generate blank amount of you know, likes, if you generate blank amount of interest, you, if, if that interest generates this sale, we'll pay you blank. How, how does that process work, Alex? There are different models depending on the type of business you're in. So if you ask someone to do social media outreach for you, it, meaning to reach out to other people, to engage with other people's posts, to send messages, etc., that is a totally different game than if you ask someone just to design content for you that, that they then schedule and that then goes online at a certain point in time. Um, I decided I just want someone that, at least for the, uh, at the beginning, that does certain content work for me. So no outreach, no nothing. And that person is not being paid based on the number of likes or number of sales 
potentially that come through that. Because that there is such a complex chain that you can't possibly track a sale to a single post. Right. But what you can do is, and that's what I did, um, I sat down with that person and briefed that person very thoroughly. The person has access to my um, Google Drive where my CI is available. So what fonts do we use? What colors do we use? What types of pictures do we use? That person needs to know all these things because otherwise they couldn't do a proper job. And then they create designs based on my briefing um, on demand and send me basically their um, suggestions. I give feedback, they implement the feedback and then those things go online. It's as easy as that. The person sits in the Philippines that works for me. So in a completely different time zone. So when I write um, an email to that person um, and go to bed the next morning, I have the stuff done in my inbox. So extremely, extremely convenient. And um, there are, you asked about payment structure. There, there are different payment structures. You can have someone on a monthly retainer, for example. So let's say you pay 200 bucks a month um, for that person for X amount of work. And that's just a deal that runs until it's terminated. Or you do um, based on an, on a, on an hourly uh, salary, that's also fine. Depending on what that other person also needs. Not everyone is, is fine with having a retainer. Um, it, it really depends on what the other person wants. And you need to find a mutually agreeable um, collaboration that, that just works for you. So in my case, the amount of work that I have for that person is sort of on a baseline, but from time to time, it just, it just peaks because there is a new product that I develop and I want that person to create um, the collateral for it, for example. So it, it depends. Let me put it that way. Okay. All right. Because uh, again, I'm tossing those ideas around so much to the fact that I have an 11 year old and a nine-year-old, um, who of which uh, they seem to be very engaged and inter interactive with the different social media platforms, TikTok in particular. Um, and I know that my audience uh, probably tends to head in that direction as well. I don't. So I'm almost inclined to get the assistance of my own children to do that kind of work for me. Child labor, <coughs> child labor. <laughs> so now I did some research on this and what you can do rather than subcontracting it out like you suggested uh, earlier on in this podcast is to avoid that, <laughs> that very concept is to, um, you know, W2 the kids and, and, and pay them income, obviously have a job description, but pay them income and then take that income that they're earning and put that into a Roth IRA account, uh, individual retirement account. So those kids then, my children, can start to build wealth at this age. And as long as it's earned income, you can do that under the age of 18. I think the, uh, beyond everything you just said, which makes total sense, I think it's a wonderful way to help children figure out whether they have a certain fable for something. So if your kids um, just, if, 
it's sort of a gamified job. Right. So if, if they dip their feet into entrepreneurship in that sense, because apparently they are self-employed, right? You are right. not their employer. You, right. you pay them on a, on a job by job basis, most likely. So they can actually figure out, hey, that is cool. I get money for things I like. That's a job. Awesome. So <laughs> kids just develop a very interesting relationship to the topic of entrepreneurship very early on. I love that concept. So we'll see how it goes. So that's that's kind of what I'm toying around with. I'm also toying around with going back to former students that I've had who have probably been out of school for a few years that I can trust and rely upon um, to do some of the work for me as well. So uh, I'll keep you posted on that. But thank Sounds you. Uh, uh, fantastic advice, Alex. So tell us a little bit, Alex. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued. You had mentioned, Jesus, we're already like 20 minutes in. My goodness. This, this, I love doing this because, again, it just flows so naturally. You had mentioned about 15 minutes ago that your initial uh, career path led you down the path of journalism. Right. So what changed? Why not journalism? Because this speaks near and dear to my heart because, truth be told, if any of my audience has been listening to these podcasts, they know that I wanted to be a sports broadcaster when I was in high school. Yeah. So now, you know, again, you're speaking journalism. That's what I kind of wanted to get into, even though I took like one class at the community college and said, what the heck am I doing? And now I'm podcasting. I do the announcing for the football games. So I've, I, I feel like even though I didn't pursue it, I'm still doing it. So I'm intrigued to hear why you switched from journalism. What, what was the turnoff there? Journalism as such is probably too broad a topic. Um, I was very specifically in the area of um, music journalism, entertainment journalism. So I, would, I was always in love with music and I wanted to understand music and the music industry and um, talk to these people. And I love that. But at some point in time, um, you realize sometimes through reflection or sometimes through an external event that the trajectory you are on is not satisfying enough for you. So you're curious about something else. And in my case, 9-11 changed everything because after 9-11, a lot of media organizations um, started to struggle. Companies held back their marketing spend, which is the main income for um, media organizations. And um, I lost my job back then as a, as a journalist, as a music journalist. And I asked myself why I didn't see that coming. I saw 9-11 happening live. I covered 9-11 for weeks and months afterwards. And all of a sudden I was out of a job. So why didn't I see that coming? Why didn't I see that an external event can have a direct influence on my job? So I asked myself, what do I need to know and understand in order to prevent that from happening again? And I said, okay, there is one thing on this planet that I absolutely have no idea of, which is how the economy works, how businesses work. So macroeconomics and microeconomics. And I said, hmm, I might want a job where I can fire people. I was so <laughs> furious. That, that I had thoughts like that. <laughs> but in the end, I realized that um, while this initial 
thought was fueled by anger. Once I started to study business, I realized that this was just like a fling. It was just in the moment. And I really started to become interested in how, how organizations work um, and how we can make them better, how we can make them places that are equitable, that are inclusive, where people can be themselves, not trying to um, put on a mask and be one person in their job and another person in their life, in their private life. So I really tried to, to study entrepreneurship and leadership at the same time and to understand how, how corporations can be a safe space for people where they can grow and develop into the best versions of themselves. And, and that's what became possible. That's the reason why I didn't go back into, into journalism after I studied. I could have gone back into a media organization and become, let's say, um, engaged in running a magazine, for example, from a business perspective. But it, I really didn't want to do that. So it seems like <clears throat> all of the, uh, maybe the epiphany that you had there and then making that transition and where you are today correct me if I'm wrong, is that providing valuable content to the book that's upcoming, unless it's already out, the nine elements of organizational theory? Yeah, nine elements of organizational identity is a concept that I um, created based on those past 15 years in, in strategy in leadership and entrepreneurship. The book is, um, is written, it's not yet out. Um, okay. Publishing a book, unless you go for self-publishing, just take some time and um, yeah, let's see, let's see. It's a book that will is geared towards um, entrepreneurs and business owners and corporate leaders that want to build businesses that are more than just making money, um, that are really doing well while doing good and just, yeah, the places that I described, places where people can flourish. All right, so it's, it's about finding your purpose and building a business around that purpose. Now, one question quickly, quick answer, because it, it, this could be, again, <laughs> a long-winded answer. So you said you were into music, favorite artist? All-time favorite artist? All-time favorite artist, just I'm curious. A new, I'm a new metal head, totally Limp Bizkit, totally. Ah, okay, all right, good choice, good choice. I saw them in concert, they were, uh, uh, they were an opening act to Metallica back in 2002 or 2003, yeah. something like that. And uh, truth be told, I'm trying to get to see Metallica this summer for their 40th year anniversary tour here in the States. So you better grab that. a ticket, man. You better <laughs> grab a ticket. They are always worth it. Yes, indeed. All right. So now final parting words, Alex, for the Stock Showdown audience. Again, my high school students predominantly pieces of advice that you can give for high school students growing up in this day, day and age, couple minutes. What do you got, Alex? I think in the context of this conversation that we had, one thing that always scared the hell out of me when I was young was when people asked me, what do you want to become? What do you want to be? <laughs> and my honest advice for you guys out there is just don't answer the questions. If you don't know it, just, people asking you the question, you could easily feel like being pressured in giving an answer and manufacturing something that you eventually even fall for. That's not, if, if you are 10, 15 years old, 
chances are that the job you will be happy with in 10 years doesn't even exist today. Sure. There are so many new jobs every year that we have no idea that they will come. They just don't exist right now. So give yourself the time to look around. The, the, the path to the dark side is to just take a job because someone wants you to do it, because your parents want you to do it, because society expects you to do it, because a teacher nudges you into something. Don't do that. A lifetime in a, in a job you didn't choose is a long, long time. So you rather take your time, take a look around, travel, see the world, see different cultures, see different jobs, volunteer, um, do internships in very different fields to figure out what you want. And don't, I mean, it took me 40 years to figure out where <laughs> I am now. So don't rush it. It's not worth it. Money will always come. Don't worry about that. Wow. Awesome. Very profound. Uh, Alex, thank you for those parting words and, and, and great wisdom and advice you can part, impart upon uh, myself selfishly and to my, my audience. So uh, thank you again, Alex Brookman, for joining us on the Stock Showdown podcast. My pleasure. This is Wandy signing off. God bless.